In verse 18, we're going to read verses 18 through to 27. That'll be our text this morning. So it says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole world has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not, sorry, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we ought to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we just thank you for your word. Uh, God, we, we love your word, and we love, Lord, the written word, because the written word leads us to the living word. Jesus. And this morning, Jesus, we want to be led to you. We want to come right to your feet, sit there and be taught. We pray, Jesus, that in all things this morning that, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored. We pray, Jesus, that, that your spirit would, that we would just have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see uh, in your word the things that are being declared and taught here, Lord, that um, we might know you better. And so, God, we, we ask for uh, Holy Spirit revelation this morning as we just consider the word of God and we ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right on. Hey, so we're diving back in here at Romans 8. You guys that have been around know this is the series we've been in. If you're a guest, um, we've been just cruising through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And uh, we've come to this great, it's one of the great chapters of the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. And really, as we drop back in here, back into our series after this Christmas season, I, I want to remind you of where Paul has brought us, where, where we've been and where he's brought us, and, and how we got to this point in the text. And the key to it is to go back to chapter 7, verse 24. So let's, let's just go back there and remember where we are and what's going on. And so Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 24 really sets the stage for Romans 8. And Paul says this, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so Paul asked this question as, as we were coming into Romans chapter 8. He was, he was asking this question, How can I overcome how can I have victory over the flesh? How can I have victory over my sin? But actually, he wasn't asking that question, as we saw, because we talked a lot about this, that the question, how, is the wrong question. Paul doesn't say that. He says, who? Not how, but who will give me victory? 
And the answer is Jesus. And we just talked about this, that when you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. And Paul gives us here an example of asking the right question when he says, who will rescue me? That is the question of the spiritual man. That is the question uh, of our spirits as we're led by the spirit of God. The flesh says, how? How can I do this? The spirit says, who will give me victory? And the answer is Jesus. He He will rescue us. And so with Christ's rescue in mind, as him as our rescue in mind, Paul begins to tell us about life in the spirit. And that's where it just titled this kind of section, Living for Jesus, the Life of Security. This is about life in the spirit. And Paul gave us three characteristics. They're up on the screen behind me of life in the spirit. And we talked lastly, this is where we left off on the first one. The char- a characteristic of life in the spirit is a life of freedom. A life of freedom. And then secondly, as we're going to look at the second one this morning, is the life of futility. You say, What? That is a characteristic of life in the spirit. Yeah, you're going to find out how Paul explains all that. And then the last one that we're going to look at next week, actually, we're going to put it off till next week, is is fearlessness. And so when we talk about the life of of freedom, Paul, Paul said this. He said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember that? He said, you've got freedom. When you ask the question who and you come to Jesus... The life of the spirit is a, is a life of freedom. And Paul contrasted for us the life of the flesh and the life of the spirit. That's, that's what's going on in that first part of Romans chapter 8. And he laid out conditions for us. He said, if you do this, then the spirit will do this. And if you do this, the spirit will do this. And he invited us to enter in to the freedom of the spirit. And so let's just kind of pick it up at verse 16. Would you look at with me at... At verse 16, it says this in chapter 8. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, what Paul talked about was this, where we kind of left off was just evidence that we're that we're children of God. Do you remember that? We said, man, one of the evidences that you are a child of God is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will actually testify to your own spirit. He will, he will bring that sense of affirmation. He bears witness and we know our status as God's children because the Spirit makes it clear. And so if that's not clear for you in your spirit, if that is not clear, then you need to wrestle that to the ground with Jesus. You need to Come to the cross and ask that the, that the living God come and dwell in you and that the Spirit would give testimony to your, to your spirit. And so we don't have to wonder, you know, am I a Christian? Am I not a Christian? Because the Holy Spirit makes it clear God's children know who they are. And there are benefits to being a child of God. That's what we just read here. That we have the privilege of relating to God just like Jesus did. He called God his father. People said, you can't do that. Who are you to call God your father? That's what the people said in the generation where Jesus lived. And, but, but Paul tells us here that because of the spirit of God indwelling us, the spirit also gives us that ability that we can say to God, Father, Daddy, Abba. 
And he says this, that it means that we are children of the Father. And if we are children of the Father, then we are heirs. We are co-heirs with Christ. There's an inheritance that belongs to us. And part of this inheritance, and this is going to kind of just launch us into this next section of Scripture, is this, is that he says that part of our inheritance is this, that we share in the sufferings of Jesus and we share in his glory. Now, that's a kind of a, a crazy thing when you think about it, to share in the sufferings of Jesus, to think, wow, sharing in his suffering is part of my inheritance. I mean, we know this, that we are not immune to tough stuff just because we follow Jesus. We're not, we're not immune to, to sickness, to accidents, to terrible things happening or, or persecution or whatever it is. We're, we're not immune to those things just because we follow Jesus. It's, in fact, what we, what we read here is that suffering is part of the inheritance that comes with following Jesus. And so it's a, it's a weird thing to think, what suffering's part of my inheritance? But that's, yes, what Paul says. But he also says that if you share in his suffering, it means you're going to share in his glory. And so knowing that we'll share in the sufferings of Jesus and knowing that we're going to share in the glory of Jesus sets us up to see what Paul is talking about here, the second characteristic of life in the Spirit, and it's this, futility. And I think, what? I just, doesn't that sound weird to you that that's a characteristic of following Jesus? Futility, the NIV says frustration. You're going to be frustrated. The, the King James Version says vanity. You know, uselessness. And so it, it's, a, it's a crazy thing to think that the, the word futility means this, that there's a pointlessness. That there is a uselessness that you experience in the life of the Spirit. A frustration. I would say this, you know, the feeling of being upset or annoyed because you can't change certain things and you can't control them. Let me ask you this. You, how many of you have a certain sense of frustration in your following Jesus? <laughs> yeah, thanks, John, for the hand, because I do. I think, man, I am not who I want to be. The church is not what I want it to be. You know, my witnessing skills are not what they want. I want the gospel to rock my life and to rock the world. And there's like this frustration that I think, what the heck? How come I'm stuck in this futility or this vanity as the King James says it? And I want to encourage you as we turn to this that, that Paul tells us that that frustration that you have is a characteristic of the spirit-filled life. Now that's interesting. That's really interesting to me. So let's check out how Paul says that's the case. Look at verse 18. He says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So to start, you know, as I, as I read those words of Paul and I think about what he says, to me it's really easy to cheapen what Paul says here. Let me read it again. Verse 18. Look at it again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Well, that's easy for you to say, Paul. That's what I think. What are you talking about? Well, you don't know my sufferings. 
You don't know the things that I'm going through. You don't know the frustrations of my heart, Paul. And it's a really easy thing to say, you know, your sufferings don't compare. And, and we've all had this. We've all been the guy or, you know, had the guy say it to us, you know, your sufferings, they're not, they're, they don't compare to the glory that will be revealed. And it's, and it's easy, I think, for us to kind of, you know, quote this first to someone who is suffering and yet really not lay hold of the truth. And yet, with that comment, I would say it's important that we do not cheapen what the Word of God says here and what Paul is saying. So let me remind you that Paul was a man who was not ignorant when it came to suffering. He, he personally experienced, I would say this, probably more suffering than most of us here, if not all of us here. And yet, when he considered his sufferings, he said, it doesn't compare in comparison to the future glory that's coming. He said, in fact, I believe the glory that's coming far outweighs my current suffering and my current circumstances. And I think that's important to consider, Paul, because there's weight to what he is saying here. You know, I was thinking back um, 10 years ago, I started pastoring here at this church. And when I was, it was before September, I was thinking about this. I, I started as a lead pastor in July, July 1st. And it happened somewhere before September came, about the end of September, that I got this call. And so I'm totally new to the church. I'm new in my role as a lead pastor. And I get this call from someone, connected to someone from the church. And this man wanted a pastoral visit. And so... I, I packed up in the car. I, dr I drove out to Selma Park to go and meet this individual at their home. And he was an older man. And this man had lived his entire life practicing homosexuality and living in that community. And he was an old man. And uh, he was HIV positive. He was very sick. And he was near the end. He was gaunt and and, and sickly, and he said, I don't have any friends from my community that are left at my age. I'm the last one in my entire community. And this man was nearing death, and while we're sitting there, he said, do you mind if I uh, spark up a joint while we're... <laughs> I'm like, the pastor, right? I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> I didn't know what to say, but there it is. There we were. And we began to just chat about life. We talked about his life and he had been through a lot. And he, he suffered a lot of things and he wanted to tell me a lot about his life. And so I sat for a long time, like a long time. And I listened to this man and then he said this to me. He said, now you've respectfully listened to me and I've called you here to my house. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to speak. And now you can speak and share with me what you want to share. And so, you, you know, maybe you found yourself in, maybe not that kind of situation, but you found yourself in situations like this at time. And so silently I said, God, you got to help me because I'm in over my head. And as best as I could, I began to tell him about Jesus and about the cross and the love of God for him. And I shared the gospel with him. 
And as I was sharing, he began to attack. In fact, he began to attack not the gospel, but he began to attack me. And he said this, you know, everything that you're saying is fine and dandy, but who are you to speak to me? You don't, who, look at you. You know, I was like 30 at the time, okay? Almost 30. I'm going to say I was 30. And uh, I wish I was 30. And uh, he, he said, you know, compared to you and compared to me, you don't know suffering. You know, a little church boy, pastor, this or that. And he began to just attack. And I began to continue to just point him to Jesus and as he was attacking, I, I knew that there was reality to what he was saying. I did not know any of the sufferings of this man or things that he'd experienced in life. But it was also true this, and I said this to him. It's also true, you don't know me, and you don't know my life, and you don't know the things that Jesus has saved me from. And I, and I said to him, you might be able to weigh my suffering against yours and say to me, you do not know what you're talking about, and that's fair to me. But this I know. I said to him, I said, this, this I know. Jesus suffered in my place. <laughs> i got to bring the conversation back to, to Jesus. And I was thinking about that question, you know, like what Paul is saying here. It's like, what do you know about me and my suffering that you would say to me, your suffering does not compare to the glory that is coming as part of your inheritance? And when we talk about Paul, we have to see that Paul understood suffering. He did. He knew it intimately. He was acquainted with suffering. And yet in faith, he could say, the future glory far outweighs my present circumstance or my suffering or my futility or my sense of frustration. I mean, let's just consider one example. You know, Acts chapter 14, Paul's in Lystra. He's preaching the gospel. Those who had been opposing him in city after city, finally banded together enough in Lystra, following him, persecuting him. They gathered the crowd and the whole crowd turned on Paul. They grabbed him. They picked up stones. And the scripture tells us that they stoned Paul. They, they, I mean, you think about it. They, they chucked rocks at him. The practice of stoning is not something that we necessarily even comprehend because what it typically looked like was this, is that they would hold you to the ground, they would restrain you, and then from a height, maybe like from a building, people would drop large rocks. That's what they did to Paul. And in Lystra, Acts 14 says this, that the crowd believed that Paul was dead, so they dragged him out of the city and they left him laying there. Now I read that and I think, man, sometimes we don't read between the lines. If the crowd thinks you're dead, chances are you're dead. I actually think Paul died. But the scripture tells us in Acts 14 that the believers of that city gathered around him. They laid hands on him. They prayed for him and he was raised. The scripture doesn't tell us that he was dead, but I think the crowd thought he was dead. And so he probably was. And it's a miracle. And the stories of Paul's experience with suffering for the sake of the gospel, they go on and on and on. You know, we could tell lots of them this morning. But one thing is true in all of his experience. Jesus was at work in the midst of it because he was a follower of Jesus. 
And that reality allowed Paul to recognize that the, that the glory of the future outweighed the suffering of the present. And the same is true for you. You know, whatever your suffering is this morning, whatever your frustration is, whatever your futility is, the vanity of life that is driving you crazy is you just want to follow Jesus. The glory of the future outweighs that. And now as Paul talks about futility and frustration, he's going to note for us three, he calls them groanings that are happening in the midst of this world, in its suffering, and in the futility of this world as we follow Jesus. Now, I'm a groaner. Is anybody a groaner here? And and what I mean is this. It's like, I'm like one of those guys that apparently I like sigh a lot and I groan. My wife says, are you okay? I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, what you were doing that, there was a lot of noise happening there. A lot of groaning, a lot of sighing. I don't know, I'm probably just getting down on one knee to tie my shoe or something like that. And I think, you know, great. If that's, what, if that's how she perceives me at 42, what am I going to sound like at 82? And so the first groaning that Paul talks about is this. He says this, that creation is groaning. Now he says this, creation is groaning for liberation. Check it out, verse 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the Son of God, sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So Paul tells us creation is groaning in its futility. That that it's groaning in its desire to obtain freedom and the glory of the children of God. And if we were to flip back to Genesis and we read the Genesis account, the creation account, we read that in each part of the successive creation account that, that God saw what he had made and the scripture says, God said, it's good. What I have made is good. What I've made is beautiful, but, but here we read, Paul tells us that today creation is groaning. That there's suffering. That there is, that there is death. That there is pain. And it is all the result of Adam's sin. It's not the fault of creation that it's been brought into the bondage of decay. It is the result of sin. You think about it for a moment. What did the animal kingdom do In the account of Adam and Eve's fall. I would say to you nothing. They didn't do anything wrong. What did you know the trees do wrong? What did the mountains do wrong? What did the ocean do wrong? What did did any of God's creation do wrong in the fall account besides Adam and Eve? And the answer is nothing. And yet all of creation has been made subject to futility because of mankind's sin. But here's the truth. That Paul tells us, just as as creation has been subject to futility because of man's sin, so creation will also benefit from man's redemption. Creation is going to benefit from the cross of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime... While it awaits its salvation, its redemption, while it waits for its liberation, 
Paul says creation is groaning. I mean, you think about it. You think about some of the things that we believe about the second coming of Christ and some of the signs that are going to preclude that. We believe that from Matthew 24 that that Jesus said that there will be an increase in the frequency and the intensity of earthquakes on the earth. You know, it's as though the earth knows that its time of liberation is coming. Think about it. It's like the earth is longing and expecting Jesus to come and its groans increase as it waits for the liberation of King Jesus. When Jesus comes to the earth, the earth will no longer need to groan. I think that that will be the ceasing of earthquakes in the history of the world when Jesus comes. Actually, the the final groan will happen, the scripture says. Zechariah tells us, the feet of Jesus will touch the Mount of Olives and it'll split in two and living waters will flow and King Jesus will reign. The Dead Sea will come alive. There'll be a river. The nations will come. There'll be healing. It'll be the final groan and Jesus will reign. And so creation is groaning. And it's waiting for the time that that the Holy Spirit described through Isaiah. Listen to this. Isaiah prophesied this of that time. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. And they won't take my garbage anymore. (laughs) The cow will feed with the bear and their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra. And the young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's it. Creation is longing for that day, Paul says. And all of creation will, will be the beneficiary of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and it's groaning for its liberation. Look at Romans 8:22 with me. It says this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now for obvious reasons, I think about this, I I I've never had the privilege of the pains of childbirth. <laughs> but I've watched my wife go through it three times. There at her side for the birth of our three kids. And if you're a dad, a parent, you know those are like, well, for a dad, those, there's, there's some, you know, feelings of helplessness at that time as you watch your wife groan in the labor and, and in the process of childbirth. And, and then when that little one is born and you hold each one of them and it's like, it's like the greatest moment in your life, right, as a parent, as a dad, but I, I was thinking about it, you know, like for me to hold that little one and then for Lisa to hold one of our newborn babies, those are different experiences. You know, she's the one who gave birth. <laughs> she's the one, I'll give credit where credit's due there. 
their, their, their birth for her was like liberation, <laughs> freedom, after it was all said and done. You know, for nine months, her womb had, had nurtured those little bodies, those little babes. And when they were born, not only were they given life, but Lisa's womb was set free. She was like, hallelujah, Jesus. And creation, Paul says, is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. It's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Now look at what he says, verse 23. And not only the creation... But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Here's the second groan that he talks about. He says this, believers are groaning for adoption. Believers are groaning for the adoption process to be completed. And so that's interesting because the reason we groan is, is different from that of creation. We groan because, Paul says this, we groan because we've tasted of the first fruits of the Spirit. I would say this to you. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit brought you and I to Jesus. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit because he is leading you and I to be more like Jesus. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit because he is at work in us to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. To bring, to bring forth the, the life of Jesus. I'm thankful for the leading of the Holy Spirit because as we read, Paul tells us the Holy Spirit identifies that we are children of God. He identifies us as, as sons and daughters. I, I'm thankful that through the adoption of the Holy Spirit, I can say to God, Father, Abba, you're my dad. I'm thankful that by the Holy Spirit, my spirit bears witness that I'm a child of God. I'm thankful that, that the Holy Spirit, as Paul tells us elsewhere, is the deposit guaranteeing that I am a co-heir with Christ. That though I may suffer with Jesus, I will be glorified along with him. And so Paul says we, we groan the groan of frustration and futility because we've, we've tasted of the first fruits of the Spirit. It's like having the first piece of cheesecake. <laughs> and we had cheesecake on Christmas Day. We had a, Isabella and, and Lisa had made a Yule log and my mom had made a cheesecake and I was totally torn. So I had both. And, um, you know, it's like, the, it's like, you know, you think about the first fruit, tasting of the first fruits of the spirit is like tasting the first bite of cheesecake. And, you know, the first bite of cheesecake, it speaks to you. It talks. You know what I'm talking about. It says, you want more. You're coming back for more. I got you now. Right? That's the first bite of cheesecake. And the cheesecake talks. And, and it says to you, why would you stop at one bite? When you can have a whole piece or worse. 
And, and you know, it's funny, uh, it, or, or I might say this, it's like the first sip of coffee in the morning. This morning I woke Lisa up, and, and, and she rolled over. She says, is the coffee ready? And, and I said, yeah, it's ready. And she goes, yes. <laughs> now, I wish I could take credit, but we have a machine that does it, you know. So, now get this. Here's what Paul's saying. He says the Holy, he's saying this, the Holy Spirit is like the first bite of cheesecake. The Holy Spirit is like the first sip of coffee in the morning. And because you've tasted it, your life is like this. You're like, Lord, I want more. I want more. And there is a sense of frustration in us. It's a, it's a, it's a characteristic of the Spirit-led life. This is nice to hear, isn't it? To be frustrated, to say, what I have of you, Lord, is not enough. And I just cannot seem to reel enough in. I don't, I, I'm frustrated, Lord. There's a futility in my following you because I have tasted and I just want another piece. That's my phone. Isn't that terrible? Pastor's phone's ringing in his office. Okay. When I find out who's calling me, they're going to get it. Better not be any of you. <laughs> now listen to this. In the Holy Spirit, what he's saying this. In the Holy Spirit, what we get is a taste of what's coming to us. Isn't that a neat thought? It's just enough to whet our appetite so that it's like, Jesus, I am longing for you. Jesus, the Spirit and the Bride say to you, come. Come, Lord Jesus. I am longing, Jesus, that you would give me a new body. I'm sitting on a stool because my knee is beginning to fail me. You know, Jesus, I'm longing for the redemption of my body. I'm longing for a new body. I'm longing to be with you forever. I'm longing, Jesus, for my experience of worship of you to change and to grow and to not get capped out, not to feel like I'm hitting the, the ceiling. Jesus, I am waiting for my adoption to be complete. You know, the papers are all signed. All the, all the adoption's done. It's like you're just waiting to be picked up by your new parent. And if the taste is anything of what is to come, like just think about it. Like if the taste that you get of the Lord is, is just a sense of anything that is yet to come, then yes, what Paul says is true. The glory outweighs it all. The hope of glory outweighs anything. Any suffering, any trouble, anything. Just to have more of Jesus. Now think about it. We've been talking about this. The process of our salvation We've, we've been saved, past tense. We are being saved in the present and we are going to be saved. And Paul says this about the, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 24. He says this, For in this hope we were saved. The hope of glory. The hope of adoption. The hope of the whole cheesecake. For in this hope we were saved. The blessed hope of the glorious 
appearing of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. That just tells you this. It's not cliche in Christian life. It's the truth. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And we groan because we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But the amazing life-giving thing is, is the hope that the best is yet to come. It puts suffering, it puts trouble, it puts persecution, it puts whatever the circumstance into its proper perspective and it means this. Whatever it is, whatever falls under the category of suffering, it's temporary. The suffering is temporary. But the glory, the glory is eternal. The suffering is temporary, but the glory is eternal. And so the creation's groaning, longing for its liberation. Paul says we're groaning for our adoption. And then he tells us, and the Holy Spirit is groaning in intercession. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts, sorry, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, when we're feeling weak, we're going through futility, frustration, suffering, whatever it might be. And there's those times it's like, God, I don't even know what to pray. I, I, am, I am at a loss for words in this moment. Jesus, I don't even know what to pray. Paul tells us this, that God has given us the Holy Spirit for that very purpose and for that very moment and for those very times. And he is there present in your life to help you make intercession when you don't know what to do. And the Holy Spirit's role is, is just very much that, to, to help you in your wrestling with frustration and futility. What Paul is telling you is this, is that when you are frustrated and when you're facing futility, you need to know something, that you're not alone. That you're not alone. Remember, Jesus said, I'm with you to the very end of the age. You, you are not alone because the Spirit lives and dwells in you. And Paul says, he, he is groaning in intercession for us. That means this, that the Spirit of God is making petitions to the Father on our behalf. He is interceding on our behalf before the Lord. He's, he's appealing to God and he's acting as an intermediary to the Father. You know, I might ask you this. Don't, don't you wish you had someone to help you in your frustrations? You do. You know, don't you wish you had someone to petition God on your behalf all the time? You do. 
the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, the Father has given to you help for all your weaknesses, in all your weaknesses, in all your frustrations, in all your sense of suffering and futility, and it is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Paul says he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The groaning of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes that expresses itself in our lives in a gift, the gift of tongues. It's it's an important gift that Jesus has given to his body, to us as individuals, the, the gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues is simply the idea of, of prayer communication with God that, that is beyond our ability to express in a language that we know. Deep groanings within. Deep groanings. Groanings of the Spirit which cannot be articulated with human words. And it needs the intercession and the leading of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Paul spoke about the gift of tongues, it's interesting. I mean, you start to put these pieces of Paul's life together, the puzzle, and he said this. He said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. You remember when he says that in 1 Corinthians? I don't know the exact reference, but he says it. He says, I wish you all would, and I pray in tongues more than all of you. And he goes on to say, but I wish you'd all prophesy. And when Paul says that, I, I, I pray in tongues more than all of you, I just, I just think that, that's not Paul speaking in arrogance, okay? It's not arrogance. It was a confession that he understood God had given him a gift to help him when he didn't know what to do or what to say. And obviously, Paul was in the spot where he didn't know what to do a lot of the time. You know, that's what happens. When you follow Jesus, you know that. You will find yourself in spots where you don't know what to do, like the conversation I found myself in when I was a brand new pastor. I don't know what to say, God. I need your help in this moment. And the Spirit makes intercession. He himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, the Holy Spirit searches the hearts. Paul says of those those whom he helps and he is able to guide our prayer according to the will of God. That's a neat thing. You say, Lord, I don't know what your will is in this situation. I need your help. I need your help. The Holy Spirit, what he's telling us, he comes along and he begins to help you pray the will of God. To pray according to the will of God. I, I would say to you, ask the Holy Spirit to help you all the time. Help God. <laughs> help Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me in this moment. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to pray. I'm asking you for help. He will help you. He will help you. Even maybe in your life, if you've sought the gift of tongues and the Lord hasn't given you that, the Spirit himself intercedes for you. But I would encourage you, seek that from the Lord. Say, Lord, I ask you to give me a prayer language for when I don't know with the prey, one that's led by the Spirit of God. Verse 27 says this, And he who searches hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I just love that because it just stood out to me that it's just the Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. 
Sometimes we just don't know. Don't know the will of God, but the Holy Spirit does. And now we come to this, this great verse. We'll just wrap up with verse 28. We, we didn't read it earlier, but this, this verse has to do really with the third characteristic of life in the Spirit. It's, it's uh, freedom, futility, and the last one is fearlessness. And we're going to talk about this next week. But look at what verse 28 says. It says this, And we know, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who, who are called according to his purpose. That, that, that's for next week. But I would say to you in this, as, as, as we close on this text and, and look ahead to next week's, if you are in Jesus, then you need to know this. That, that, that a sense of futility and frustration is a characteristic of life in the Spirit. It's normal. If you're frustrated in your Christian walk, it's normal. Now, I I just find that really comforting to hear. I don't know about you guys. Do you find that comforting? And I would say to you, don't let Satan use that to become a source of discouragement in your life. That's the application right here. Don't let Satan use that sense of futility and frustration to be a source of discouragement in your life. Instead, do what Paul did. Let it remind you of hope. Let it remind you of hope. Let it remind you that creation is groaning for its liberation. And in my frustration, I am groaning for my adoption to be complete. And the Spirit of God is groaning in intercession for me. The futility, the frustration, the suffering, it is temporary, but the glory is eternal. And this is the hope in which you are saved. That's life in the Spirit. May God help us to walk in the Spirit.